0: What do you know, it's episode 15, and it's November 16th, 2021. This is the More Math for More People podcast. Cheers.
1: Okay, here we go. Hello, I'm Joel.
0: And I'm Misty.
1: And this is More Math for More People, brought to you by CPM Educational Program.
0: This podcast supports middle and high school teachers with best practices, relevant research, helpful hints and tips, and anything else that randomly comes to our minds.
1: We hope you find this podcast both entertaining and informative for your math teaching practice.
0: So Joel, the other day I got an email. Well, I got it was a message in the portal. From who? From Karen Malloy, and she told me that she has she had an STTS mashup. Oh, great. Yeah. So she sent an STTS mashup to me. She said you could do a mashup of fishable anything. <laughs> and so and she gave some examples. She gave some examples. Yeah. She said you could do like a fish edit. Okay. which could be like a, f- a fishbowl and a peer edit. <laughs> yeah, I like these next ones. Okay, You do a fishy ad, which is a fishbowl and a dyad. <laughs> this is my favorite one. Fish and tips <laughs> for fishbowl thinking, compare, share.
1: I love that. Isn't that great? It's so great. Yeah.
0: So I was trying to think what other fishbowl things could you do? Could you do a uh, f- fishy huddle? No, I don't know.
1: Could you do a, a fishy seat?
0: A fishy seat.
1: Fish fishbowl on a hot seat.
0: <laughs> I mean it's like you it could just you use the fishbowl basically to demonstrate anything. Yeah. But I just like that you put fish you could put fish on it on the front of any STTS
1: So you could have fishy potato.
0: Fishy potato. A fish potato.
1: <laughs> some some of them don't sound as appealing, but no, yes, no, you no, could no. definitely put fishbowl yeah. with anything. I love so, that yeah, idea. Yeah, no, I thought that was great.
0: So thanks Karen Malloy for sending that to me.
1: Thank you, Karen. Misty, it's National Button Day today.
0: National Button Day? hmm Did you wear a button down to work?
1: Um, no, I, oh. I wore a sweater to to work.
0: Well, that was silly. No, <laughs> know. You could have wore button fly pants. It's true. Yeah.
1: Actually, I haven't had button fly pants for a long time. I haven't either. <laughs> I found them a little cumbersome, actually.
0: I loved them when I was younger. Yeah. Levi's were. Levi 501s that you had to wash to shrink. Yes. I don't even know. Can you even buy them there that way anymore?
1: I think you can. Uh, Here in Salt Lake City, there's a Levi's store, and they will actually buy old Levi's like that. Mm -hmm. And and they're also creating some new ones, I think. But there's Mm -hmm. a shelf of 501s. and
0: Like a pre-used? Or whatever. Yeah.
1: Like like thrift store 501s? I
0: don't want to say it that way. I mean, I buy pre-used clothing all the time because I go to thrift stores. I don't actually call it pre-used clothing.
1: (laughs) It's kind of like going to discount meats or something.
0: (laughs) So there's certain ways we don't describe things. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yes. So we'll call them vintage. How about that? Vintage 501s? I like it. That'd be cool. I bet they're expensive. I bet they're, I feel like 501s were reasonably expensive when I was a kid.
1: Oh, I, I believe they were.
0: But they're, pro- they're probably more expensive now. Double, triple. Anyway, buttons.
1: Yeah, buttons. <laughs> well, I, I, I was interested in button day and kind of investigating a little bit. Mm-hmm. I actually have a container of buttons in my house. Do you have buttons at your place?
0: I do have uh, actually two containers of buttons. Mm-hmm they're they're just in glass jars. Yeah. So they're they're decorative. I'm sure at one point they were in a big bag or something that I got from my grandma cuz I feel like that's a thing gra- like grandmas do. They collect buttons
1: <laughs> for a right? reason, I assume.
0: Well, yes. Well, cuz if you lose a button, you need a button. Right. I feel like I've read historical fiction books too where buttons were a big deal, like so mm-hmm. having matched buttons or like cuz they're, you know, you didn't just have if you lost a button, you couldn't just go to the store and buy it's one, true. right? In the really it's old true. days. You had to make it again.
1: Well, it's interesting you said glass jar because mm. our next episode, it'll be National Mason Jar Day. Oh. So maybe we can connect the two holidays.
0: A Mason jar of buttons. Oh, That's yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: I had an experience where I lost a button.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was at a, a learning event. Just one? <laughs> yep. It was that front button, mm-hmm. you know, on, on the pants. Oh. And I, I played it off mm. pretty well. But when I got home, I had a button that I could sew. Huh. Onto my pants. So I saved them. Wow. Well, that's nice. So I celebrated National Button Day that day.
0: <laughs> so I think it's interesting, though. I don't know if I'm on men's clothes, if they do uh, this as much as women's clothes. So in women's clothes, often you buy, you know, your blouse or mm-hmm. shirt, whatever, and it'll have, sometimes it'll have extra yarn or thread, right? Oh. In case you need to fix something on it, I guess. Yeah. And other times it'll have like little extra buttons. But what I don't like is when they come in a little package, they'll come in Why? a little like envelope with the buttons that then I am like a Ziploc bag or something. Well, kind of. It's sometimes it's a Ziploc bag. Sometimes yeah. it, it's been a little like actual, like a manila envelope, a little small, hmm. you know, like two by three inches kind of thing, maybe smaller than that. And, and it has the extra, extra buttons in it and it, and it will say extra buttons. But of course later when I might need the buttons, where would I ever find that thing? I am pretty sure somewhere in a drawer in my dresser I have a pile of various Packages with buttons and threads.
1: I'm surprised you're not putting them in the jar. Well,
0: because I'm saving them in case I ever need them <laughs> for these pieces of clothing, that I don't know which pieces of clothing. And if I had a piece of clothing that I lost the buttons somehow, mm-hmm. how would I know where? To... So I like it better when they like sew them in. The... Sometimes they sew them into the clothes. Like
1: on the tag. Yeah, like whatever. on the
0: tag or they have like the extra buttons inside the cuff mm-hmm. or something like that. Because yeah, I'm sure, and probably, I would guess probably 80% of the buttons and things that I've saved, I no longer have those clothes, for sure. In fact, I I think I might be very curious to go through them and just even see which things I still even have. Wouldn't it be cool
1: to change, take something you have and change all of those buttons with the buttons from your jar? Oh. And they could all be be mismatched buttons. That'd be kind of fun.
0: I used to, when I was a kid, I was in 4-H. And the 4-H that I was in was the cooking and sewing 4-H not the Mm. cool 4-H where you got to like Show cows or pigs?
1: Yeah, like tackle sheep or something. Yeah,
0: no, no. I was the cooking and <laughs> cooking and sewing. And one time, I you know we would make clothes, and I tried to make a button-down shirt. It was plaid, I'm sure. It was this was the mm-hmm. 80s, so mm-hmm. you know. And and I had we ha- you have to go and buy the buttons. Buttons are expensive.
1: Really, I did not know that. Like a
0: little, like a pack of buttons with like ten buttons on it. Let's, like they they could be really expensive depending on what they're made of.
1: Which is odd that they give them away for free on shirts. I guess you're paying for it.
0: Well, you were paying for the shirt. Yeah, yeah. They're not giving away for free. (laughs) It's included. It's included in the purchase.
1: It always just felt like a bonus, I guess. But
0: well, you know, they are extra buttons. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have a preference on buttons that have two holes or four holes, or there's the ones that are like have a little stem and the button it goes underneath, you know, so that there's no show of the thread.
1: I think I do, actually, and I think it's four holes, and the whole reason for that is it goes back to my story of when I lost a button and had to sew it back on. Yes. One, I really don't know how to sew that well, and I did take that class in school, Uh but four holes gives me the stability to just kind of loop it through every hole possible.
0: Uh Did you do parallel lines, or did you do crisscrossy?
1: I did parallel crisscrossy around the box, all at the same time. You did all of them. You just...
0: (laughs) So you, okay, so there, you know there's a couple of tricks about sewing on buttons, right? No, I didn't Okay, so there's a couple of tricks. One, one. I have a question. Do you carry a sewing kit? How did you? Ha- or did you when you got home? Home?
1: I actually got the sewing kit from the hotel. Nice. But I sewed it when I
0: got they home. They had a sewing kit at the hotel. That's cool. <laughs> I have a sewing kit somewhere. Again, one of those things where it's like, oh, here, you should have a sewing kit. And then when I actually need a sewing kit, I'm like, where the stink is the sewing kit? <laughs> Who knows? I'm sure there's one somewhere. Exactly. I'm sure I have several. So, one of the tricks when you're sewing on buttons is that you don't want to sew them too flat to the fabric right? Because then they're really hard to put the thing in. I've made that mistake. So there's a couple of tricks you can, um, you can put something in between like small pieces of cardboard or something like that. Yeah. Like that's just, yeah. Or something that's going to help it. The other trick is that you don't sew it super tight and then you actually, the thread and you go loop around, 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 around underneath the button in between the button and the fabric. So you make like a buffer little up there. Yeah, It's hard to describe in, in words. I'm giving you yeah. lots of visuals of my hands. So, uh, yeah. So you yep. can kind of do that. It helps keep the button up, elevated up above the fabric. And that's a great idea. Yeah. Those are things I learned when I was in 4 HC. Thank you. See, you're learning so much about buttons. This is good.
1: I'm learning. I am. <laughs> if, if any of our listeners come to the national conference, they'll bring
0: us their favorite button. I
1: might indulge in some buttons. Well, they could bring buttons, but I'm saying maybe on my shirt, I'll indulge in some button sewing and we can. Get some feedback on how I did.
0: So, we're here today with Gail Anderson. Gail, you work in the Curriculum and Assessment Department, CPM, is that right? Yes. Is yes. that how we say it?
2: Yep, yep, that's right. <laughs> CNA, yep. <laughs>
0: We always say, Gail's a writer. Well, <laughs> works in the curriculum and assessment department. So, welcome to the podcast, Gail.
2: Welcome, Gail. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure to be here.
0: Tell us a little bit as a curriculum and assessment person, first of all, like what do you do? Well, describe your job or CPM.
2: <laughs> I love, you know, like it's different things. You go on an airplane, you tell somebody you're a math teacher, and they say, oh, I always hated math. Right. So, it's really fun now when I go out and I get to say, I'm a writer. That's all I tell them. And then, you know, sometimes they'll ask, Oh, what do you write? And then I'll say math books. And then I get the eye roll and all that stuff. (laughs) And I try try to convince them how much fun it is. I mean, the greatest part of my job, well, there's so many great parts, but I just love when we're all writing tests and we get to try each other's tests. So I get to sit around and just Mm -hmm. do math tests all day long, which I really like. So we write other things. We write for the newsletter, Um, we write random lessons that intrigue us for like the try this that's up on the CPM website. Mm -hmm. So, those are a lot of fun. I I kind of feel like writing is, for me, this is probably my last career. So, you know, I started out my career as an aerospace engineer kind of in the space world. And wow. then I, you know, after that, I spent a, a decade at home with my girls. And so that was a whole different world. And then I started teaching and yeah. you know, first by tutoring and then by teaching in the classroom and did that for another decade and kind of feel like this is the culmination of all my jobs rolled into one. So I get to pursue all of my passions um, all at once. So I have a lot of fun. And I do a lot of nice. Desmos too. So Desmos is kind of my little niche on the writing team. So
1: very cool.
0: One of the things that we often encounter when we're working with teachers and they're implementing is how to write assessments for CPM. I always feel like there's a little bit of a shift that teachers need to go through in how they have written assessments maybe in the past and how they think about assessments to how they might write them for when their kids are doing CPM. So how would you describe that or how would you think about that?
2: Yeah, it really, you nailed it when you said it it really is a change and adjustment in your testing strategy. I think I was a really slow learner. I think that took me probably about uh, five years in that process. <laughs> I, you know, I started teaching at a CPM school, so it was my first time teaching, and it was it was CPM. Mm. And I don't. I think I looked at the sample tests and I thought, these aren't good for me. So I just started writing my own tests. And I thought, there, you know, there aren't mm-hmm. enough questions in here because my kids just learned this, this, and this, and it's not on the test. And so I quickly just tossed mm. the CPM tests, wrote my own tests. And then every year I would go back and, you know, rewrite it and change it because it didn't work last year. So I'd add more of this or take some of this out and kept changing. And then I'm pretty sure it took me five years when I finally said, let me wait, I'm going to go back and look at the CPM ones. And maybe on some whim, I just Mm -hmm. said, let's just use the CPM one. And it went so much better. (laughs) I thought, well, okay, well, that took me five years. And then I started over using the CPM assess the sample one. And then I would tweak it just to make I mean, different problems or, you know, sure, whatever sure. like that. But I think I, I had a tendency to, yeah, like I just taught these kids these things. And I taught it three times in one day. So by the end of the day, I felt like, wow, these kids really got it. Of course, that was really <laughs> three different classes. <laughs> yeah. So I felt justified in asking a lot of questions that I think they weren't really ready to hit yet. Um, and that that was kind of the biggest shift for me is kind of trusting the curriculum. And, and I remember this is what CPM, my my colleagues told me, you know, just just trust the spiral, trust the spiral. So I would always you know, that's what they would always tell me when I was panicking too much. And sure enough, I, it, you know, from, you know, as a teacher looking at those sample assessments, I figured they know more than I did about the curriculum. So I'll just kind of kind of go with that. So that's what I did, mm-hmm. I guess, as a teacher.
0: So to clarify, so when you were writing your own assessments in your like, first couple, three years, you chapter four assessment, were you just testing all on chapter four? Really not even doing the, the, the previous content and the exist, you know, new content?
2: Well, I would put a I'm little curious. bit. Well, see, I'd heard yeah. the, the technique that you should start with an easy question just to, you know, help kids get over the nervousness and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, the easy question was the old stuff so i would grab something um, that they were hopefully familiar with enough by then i put that on there mm-hmm. and after you know even after just the first year in cpm i think i realized with the spiraling nature you know by the time you get to the final exam because they've been doing review and preview all year long they didn't really have to go back and what did we learn in chapter mm-hmm. 1 now it was at a point where wow chapter 1 was so easy because they've done it and engaged mm-hmm. with it for so long right right yeah
0: so then you were saying that you went to using the sample assessments, and that worked a lot better. How were they better?
2: The timing seemed better as far as I think my tests tended to be a lot too long and but there were there mm-hmm. were enough questions in there. I remember going to a CPM training sometime you know I, I started right before school started, so I didn't get to do training my first year. But then when mm-hmm. I did go, I remember an exercise that she had us do, which was to try to write one test question and hit as many topics as possible, just to kind of get to think mm-hmm. about what was going on there. And I think that opened my eyes to the fact that one question isn't, one test question doesn't necessarily cover just one idea. Like the ideas aren't that discreet and that, mm-hmm. you know, I can feel confident that I am getting, I'm assessing my students' knowledge of a lot of information in there. So it's all kind of rolled up in these really good, rich questions.
1: And how how does that play into your writing role? So now you're a writer, and do you think about that as you write?
2: Yeah. So one of the first assignments I had when I took this job was to rewrite all of the assessments in the book, as well. Our our team was working on. Yeah. So there was a big push push for that. That was in 2019, and it was actually it was kind of fun because earlier that year. When I was still teaching, I was a teacher. I I eventually became a CPM teacher leader. So I was doing Mm -hmm. PD and that stuff. They invited the teacher leaders to go through to pick a course and go through the tests and give them feedback on the sample tests. And so I did that for CCG for geometry. That was kind of the course I taught the most of. So I went through and, and did all that feedback. And so then ironically, when I started at CPM, my first task was looking at CCG tests. <laughs> and so right. I was looking at right. my own feedback on the test, plus some other teachers. So there was other, there was other feedback in there, too. Right. So we spent a long time. It, it really just surprised me. And I, I, I want teachers to know this. As a teacher, you don't have time to sit and read through the whole book cover to cover and just immerse yourself in it to get the whole progression, the whole story that goes through there. Right. You know, it's really hard mm-hmm. to do that. With everything that you juggle as a teacher and as a curriculum writer, I mean, that's what we do. So we sit there and we really understand how much exposure a student has had to a certain topic and what point they're on in that progression and are they ready really for a tough question on this or are they really really ready for a, a little bit lighter question to introduce there so we spent time you know going through kind of plotting out the different the different content things the progressions and placing things really really intentionally you know let's put this in chapter 2 and we'll come back to it in chapter 5 when they've had more practice with it or something like that right um so there is mm-hmm. just so much thought. i mean this this project took a bunch of us just months so, to go through and rewrite these tests and they really do follow the curriculum. It was very intentional where we put different questions. So, you know, when they say trust the spiral, it, it, really what you're trusting is, you know, the people who have spent hours and hours doing this so that you don't have to, so that teachers get to teach and they get to think about their students and, you know, connect with them and, and do those, those, those more important personal upfront kind of things. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the, the new sample assessments. In so many ways, you know, we 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 did revisions to the suggested assessment plan, also, right? Along with that, right. and so match those things together so much, um, so much better in the last few years than they than they were before. And I th- and I, and I think you know we talk about it in our learning events all the time. We try to get teachers to just use the sample assessments in the first year. Like mm-hmm. you don't need to write assessments. Yeah. You could use these.
2: Do you know, I was just reminded of funny story. Like I, as a teacher leader, I was doing a classroom visit and I remember talking to one new teacher and he was so frazzled and we were sitting down kind of debriefing his class afterwards. And, and when I mentioned the sample assessments, he looked at me like I had just given him a gold brick. Like he <laughs> had no idea that they were just there waiting to be printed. He was so excited. Yes. So yes, they are there. <laughs> Please know that they are yeah, there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's one thing to take off your plate in that first year when you're trying to figure out all the other things that are going through each lesson and the preparation and so on. And as you move forward into year two or three or so on, yes, you can adjust them. You can you know, start to look at it and say, okay, so here's where it is. And here's where I know my kids are. I can make some tweaks and some things to it. I think it's interesting that teachers are, and I get this, we're always worried that if I don't do my bestest work this year, my students are going to suffer. Well, guess what? You're going to be a better teacher next year anyway, so (laughs) you're already not going to be your bestest teacher with these kids, right? I mean, I look back at some of the things I did in my first years of teaching, and I was just like, oh my gosh, how did those kids survive? That was ridiculous, you know, (laughs) because we learn and we get better. So I think that trusting what someone else has put up, that that it's good and it'll work,
1: what else do we want to ask you about? My curiosity is, again, the writing and the assessments. How the how how when you're writing a curriculum, what part does assessment play in that? As far as that that mixed based practice, I'm wondering, does that add to the mathematical storyline at all? Like as you create, I I don't think I'm saying it very well, but.
2: Well, yeah, on a kind of on a a macro level, you know, that the storyline goes through the whole book. So there's this this big mathematical story with all these different pieces, you know, like you read a novel, right? And there's all these different things going on. And you have these different characters who make appearances, maybe they disappear for a while. But you don't want to forget about them because, you know, they might be the key character at the end, or, you know, there are all these different things going on. And it you know, in a novel, like at the end of every chapter, the author, a good author will kind of sort out, help you sort out and put the events into kind of a focus and then kind of kick you into the next chapter and move you on. And I think the closure in a chapter does that. It kind of serves as the the end of the chapter to kind of wrap it up. So you might do these closure activities. You know, I used to see closure as, okay, we're going to do this closure activity, the closure problems or whatever. And it's so that I can prepare my kids for the test. But Really, the closure activity and anything you do then is a piece of that is the assessment. You know, it's not like the closure activity. the closure problems lead to the assessment, it's that we're doing closure and part of that is the assessment and the assessment's kind of you mm-hmm. know taking the barometer. Well, you know, let's stop and let's look around and let's see what we remember. Let's see if there are things that we maybe need to tweak as we move on because we forgot some of the characters and we want to bring them back in for another another little act or something so they can remember who they are when they need them again. Or it's it's a measure, right? That's what we assess, we means we take stock of yeah. what our students know and what they don't know and then make some information. Form decisions as we go on.
1: And so, is that thought of as well as like what is formative here? What is summative and things like that when you write those sample tests, when you write those test questions?
2: Well, I mean, really, so it, I don't think it's so easy to separate this is formative and this is summative. Agreed. You know, it's really all yeah. formative because no, everybody's agree. forming. Mm-hmm. We're all on this journey. We haven't, we're not going to get there. You know, yeah. you're just going to keep going. And so, it, it's all forming us. I mean, that's, again, part of that process that we made of looking through a particular, you know, we're doing quadratics or whatever, but we're just introducing it here, you know, we're getting to different levels, and by the end of the course, we're going to be at this different position. And so that's that's the work that we've gone and, and And figured out where those go on. So you'll see a question on chapter two in chapter five, but it's progressing different levels. I mean, you know, chapters, you think of a a novel too, right? Chapters are just there to chunk it for us, right? They're not like firm divisions in there that this is ending and this is starting, you know, they're Mm -hmm. just segues to the next piece of the journal.
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing. I've had this conversation with teachers before to help them understand that, the learning is a continuous thing, right? We looked at the, here's a lesson, here's the next idea, here's the, you know, the learning. And then basically, at some point, we had to say, well, this is how much we think you can do in a class period. So we'll call this a lesson, and this a lesson, and this a lesson. And here's, about, you know, 10 to 13 lessons, which we think is about a time you should do an assessment. So that's a chapter. And we tried to, you know, chunk the ideas. So they kind of came to some place where we could pull things together and do some synthesis of ideas and so on. But it is a really, it's a continuous, it's a continuous learning. It's a continuous thing we're making connections through. I also had a teacher one time when we were talking about the difference between formative and summative, and the idea that we always want kids to be getting feedback and getting information from what they're doing in an assessment. And so this teacher said, so every test is formative until the last time, until just the last test, (laughs) right? Like (laughs) the last time you (laughs) tested." So thank you for taking your time today, Gail, and being with us. Is there anything else, any other tips that you would want to give to CPM teachers about assessment?
2: Well, I think and something we haven't really touched on is um, how does feedback fit into the assessments, too. And, you know, I, I think about like when I was in school, especially this was more obvious maybe with English class and you get a paperback, you know, this essay that you spent all this time on and stuff and it says A minus or whatever okay, that's kind of unsatisfying. You know, what did you always look for? You looked for, and I paged through my papers looking for those little phrases or sentences, or if a teacher put an exclamation mark somewhere, you know, like things that surprised him or, um, you know, whatever was going on there. Those are the things mm-hmm. that I enjoyed reading and that um, helped, helped make me a better writer. You know, and I think as as math teachers, it's just as important for us to give feedback and you know, just an X through something or even putting a question mark instead of an X or something to let kids know that this is what I'm thinking as I'm reading your paper. Let's have a conversation here. And I know we don't, I'm sure every teacher wishes you could sit down for 15 minutes and conference with a student after every test, but I, mean, I never had time for that. But we do what we can to, to give them more feedback than just, just a grade, more of those words, continue that conversation, help I think that helps the students too if we make it a conversation that they see it's not this is the ending. We turn in our mm-hmm. test and we're done with that. We're not going to come back to it. It's just over. You know, we, we want we want them to see it as part of part of that journey too, part of that building who they're becoming as mathematicians.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. We sure appreciate you, it, man. and uh, we look forward to talking with you again soon.
2: Sure, sure. Enjoy the rest of your. Well, I'm not going to say enjoy the rest of your day. Whatever. How how do I close it? Do I have to say something? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, well, you know, everyone will enjoy the rest of their day.
2: Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who assessments. Wow. There's a lot there.
1: I was going to say we could do probably well we probably will right a few episodes on assessment
0: mm-hmm. that's I was just I was thinking that too I was like we could do like a whole series and just focus in on writing an assessment feedback on an assessment standards oh, I mean it's just gosh. there's so there's so many things always I feel like that's a question that comes up so many times in learning events and it's it's so particular to a school cuz they're like mm-hmm. well we need to do this and this and this and this so how is that going to work and and sometimes I'm like well why are you doing it that way and sometimes they have choice One of the schools I worked with, that same teacher I was talking about, like, they were like, oh, so everything's a formative assessment. And then we started talking. I started telling them my story about how I hate review. I hate test review. (laughs) Test review was silly because nobody wants to do it. The teachers are always like, oh, we have to do this test review so the kids can learn the stuff for the test. And I was like, it's a wasted day. And It's not like the kids are just doing a bunch of stuff before the test. And then they had this idea because they're also like, when we put a grade on things, the kids just look at the grade and they don't read any of the feedback anyway, right? That, yeah. that, that diminishes the impact of the feedback. And so their idea was to have the kids, they don't, they don't do a test review. They actually do a test preview where they actually have the kids look at the test and. You know, okay. Think about what's going to be on it and what they need to do to prepare for it. They take the test and then they do a review after the test. So they have their kids get in teams, they take a copy of the blank test or whatever, and they work on it together in their teams and review it. And it's so much better because they haven't seen what they did yet. They haven't seen how they did. And yeah. they get so much out of that and then they get their scored tests. It's, yeah, they've done a lot of really creative things. Um, and they're presenting at the conference. So I highly okay. recommend you go to the Flipping the Assessment Model well i think i might uh, yeah i mean i think that's something like how do we make assessment work for kids Absolutely. students i think it like so much of it ends up just being so we can put a grade well what does a grade even mean
1: yeah i i totally agree like how how is it beneficial for students why are we doing the grading and and the mm-hmm. assessment in the first place? and once we can answer that question, I think the rest falls into place really I think yeah. as long as we're concerned about what the students are learning and what they know and how how we communicate that to them and then just talking with Gail, every time I've talked with Gail, I learned something new to be honest, and it's uh yeah. it's just so interesting to talk about assessment <laughs> because, because to me, I'm still learning about it as well mm-hmm. and, and trying to learn what's the best way to do that. Given the constraints we're given, given the what's best for teaching, what's best for learning, what's best for
0: mm-hmm.
1: everybody. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. And I also, I also want to reiterate too, that I really do think that teachers need to have some compassion for themselves and how much mm-hmm. they can actually do. And that, yes, you I'm just going to tell you straight out, you're not going to do everything 100% perfect in any given year. And particularly, you know, we talk a lot about implementation, but particularly in that first year of doing any program and so taking one thing off the list here are some re- reasonably good assessments like they like regardless of who you are where you are whatever like sure. they, they you can make tiny adjustments to them but at least there's something to start with you don't have to create an yep. entire assessment yourself so true and do all the other things and leave that to be a thing that you work on and improve later you're not harming your kids in doing so
1: absolutely love it For more information and to stay connected with CPM happenings, you can find CPM on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.
0: Our intro music is one of the very talented contributions that you can find on pixabay.com. Thank you, Julius H., for your creation. Join us for the next episode of More Math for More People. What day will that be, Joel?
1: It'll be November 30th, National Mason Jar Day. And it's funny to think about mason jars sometimes. I've never thought about their importance before. But a while ago, I started always just having mason jars on hand because they're just really so handy for anything, for food, for your loose screws and nuts and bolts in the garage, things like that. You can pickle things in mason jars, use them as drinking glasses, as vases, as candle holders. There's just so many ideas that you can use a mason jar for. And uh, I'm going to celebrate the day I. Uh, craft, so I'll get back to you on that. But craft to try with a jar, and you can make a cupcake in a jar. You can make your spices in a jar. You can make a soap dispenser in a jar. You can shake up your drink in a jar. You can